Hello, and welcome to the Applicant Podcast. I'm Rebecca Tripp, and today I have with me Kendra Jolly. So Kendra, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start off by you just quickly introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. So um, like you said, my name is Kendra Jolly. I'm currently the intellectual property and corporate paralegal for NobleGen in Peterborough, Ontario. I also work on faculty at Fleming College by contract, uh, teaching in their paralegal and law clerk programs. So as needed, they kind of bring me on board to help teach classes. I also raise a toddler and help my husband run his business. <laughs> <laughs> Which are two also very important jobs, for sure. Time consuming. <laughs> yeah, so we actually met at Noble Gen um, and we also went to Fleming College as well. So I feel like our path sooner or later would have would have collided. So yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on and being willing to chat with me. Oh, it's fun to be here. So why don't we start off um, from the beginning with like your education and you can just kind of tell everyone um, how you got into the profession and, and what education you completed. Yeah, absolutely. So education wise, I completed the paralegal and law clerk programs at Fleming College. Uh, once I finished at Fleming, I went on to Durham College where I did the postgraduate certificate in mediation and alternative dispute resolution. Um, I've also got a certificate in restorative justice, which is really interesting. Um, it focuses on offender and victim mediations and reconciliation, as well as it takes cultural methods of resolving conflict into account as well. So that was really fun to dive into. Um, I'd love to spend more time on that, but it's a really hard area to, to break into. Mm -hmm. um, as far as how I landed on the paralegal position, um, in a nutshell, I didn't want to do math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> so um, back in 2012, I was working in a call center and I had, had injured myself. So I was off work for quite some time. And I decided that that kind of lifestyle or that profession was not for me anymore. I wanted to go back to school. One of my friends had recently enrolled in the forensics program at Fleming mm -hmm. and it sounded super interesting. And of course, you know, CSI was on at that point. They made it look all, you know, interesting and, you know, you solve cases in an hour, which we now definitely know is not the case by any means. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to go back to school as a mature student. Um, I enrolled or excuse me, applied for the forensics program and you're paying for the money to apply. I figured I might as well put down two more courses. So I just chose law clerk and paralegal. So um, not long after that, I got my conditional acceptance for forensics and they wanted me to upgrade my math. Mm -hmm. And math and I did not get along well in high school. I was like, nope, not doing that. So I opted for paralegal and I got my acceptance and um, this is how we got to where I am now. And uh, you know, it's, I, I do believe in things happening for a reason because I've found my passion and I absolutely love what I do now. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I feel like, yeah, forensics is very interesting, but it would be a lot of math and like science as well, which kind of go hand in hand on the discomfort level when it comes to are you like a legal brain or a math brain? <laughs> We're not a math brain. Yeah, <laughs> no. it's, it's funny now dealing working with NobleGen and all the scientists that I now work with, but thankfully they handle the math. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so after graduation, you've had a pretty interesting career. Um, can you walk us through like the various positions and responsibilities that you've had? Yeah, absolutely. So when I first started, I moved from Peterborough to North York to work at a boutique law firm. 
Um, they were the only law firm actually to give me an interview after school. And I had sent out over a hundred resumes. Mm-hmm. And thankfully I, I got the position. I started working with them. Uh, they brought me on board at first as a, um, a legal assistant for accident benefits and personal injury or tort law. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my time with them the first year was spent uh, drafting letters to clients, sending out letters for notice of intent to sue if they were injured in a car accident, uh, suing the third party, notifying insurance companies. Um, I also spent a lot of time conversing with clients and client correspondence, requesting medical records, uh, requesting police reports, anything to do with their accident. Um, I also spent a lot of time filing for motions in court for the lawyers, scheduling the motions, uh, drafting their affidavit of documents, their books of authorities, doing legal research, uh, summarizing medical reports. So a lot of administrative stuff behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And then about a year after my time with them, I got promoted into more of a paralegal role where I took on my own files at that point. Mm -hmm. And the way the law firm split up their files, I had over 200 files that I was responsible for. Wow. Which sounds daunting, but thankfully they're all at different kind of levels right. or parts in the process. So as you're kind of completing work on one section, you move on to the next one. So it's not as bad as it sounds, but it definitely was a lot. So for that part of the role, I would do client intake interviews, decide whether or not this is a client that we wanted to have on board. Mm. And what I mean by that is, was it a like an actual claim? Or was it some sort of fraudulent or kind of embellished claim? Right. And it's really important that we do that because we don't want to set ourselves or our clients up for any sort of lawsuits if it is fraudulent um, or put the law firm in a bad position. Um, We had one potential client come in, said that they were hit by a taxi, I believe it was, as they were walking down the street. They were walking across kind of the exit to the parking lot onto the street Mm -hmm. and they were hit by a taxi cab. They said it was so severe that they fell on the ground. They dropped whatever they were holding and, um, you know, that that they wanted to proceed. So we did the the typical work. We sent out the letter, the notice of intent. And wouldn't you know it, we got a response back that included a dash cam video. Oh, geez. (laughs) So what the client said happened uh, was actually them walking along, like they had said, they were walking past the exit to the roadway. The taxi cab was stopped. It looked like the driver had taken their foot off the brake and then stepped right back down again once they had seen. Mm -hmm. It barely touched the potential client. They flopped onto the hood of the car, acting as if they had been hit by a Mack truck, essentially. And yes, um, that potential client was not signed on. (laughs) So it's very important to vet (laughs) your potential clients in that sort of situation. Yeah. And um, just taking a moment to say, like, I think we've all seen those videos online where the people like over-exaggerate and like, yeah, essentially like hop onto vehicles. It's unfortunate. They wreck it for everyone, but it does happen. I still send those videos to my former lawyers. I'm just like, look at this video. They know exactly who we're referencing. <laughs> Good office humor. <laughs> Absolutely. It's needed. And sometimes in, in that area, especially when you're dealing with serious, serious car accidents and injuries. Yeah. Yeah. So after we do the intake and we bring the client on board, uh, we are then fighting with insurance adjusters a lot of the time to get our clients treatment that they need 
or treatment that is owed to them. We're working with the clinics trying to get additional treatment. Um, I would attend examinations under oath or EOs. Mm -hmm. So they're similar to a discovery where the law firm or the other party's lawyer would ask our client questions. And, you know, we'd have to say yes, answer, no answer, depending on the questions being asked. Um, requesting medical records, again, reading those medical records, summarizing those medical records, learning a whole lot about your client that you didn't really want to know. <laughs> um, because when you get those records, you get all of their records, not yeah. just the ones pertaining to the, uh, to the accident. Um, and then more towards the end of the file, we're negotiating settlements. Um, if we need to, we apply to the License Appeals Tribunal, doing case conferences and all the case conference summaries. So mm -hmm. it's a whole kind of full circle when you're in that field. And currently, like I said, I work at NobleGen. I help out with the patents and trademarks with the firm. Um, so reviewing patents that we're applying for, looking at patents already out in the marketplace, trying to make sure that we're not infringing or that anybody is infringing on us. Um, and I work closely with the scientists, like I mentioned earlier, with determining what ideas do that we want to move forward. Um, and they've got a, a lot of really great things kind of coming through the pipeline. Mm. On the corporate side of things, I work with the domestic and international law firms, um, drafting and setting up NDAs or non-disclosure agreements, MTAs, material transfer agreements, and most recently working with shareholders and um, that side of the business. Wonderful. You have such a diverse background. Like you're talking about like mediation and um, like restorative justice all the way to like corporate. I find it very, very interesting. And it's, it's relatable. I think a lot of people getting into the profession think like, oh, I'm only going to work in one area of law. And that's just not how it works out. And it keeps things interesting. Like you, you now you Absolutely. have such a diverse background. Um, I'm sure if you wanted to switch gears again, you could do so with confidence because you've done so before. And I'm very lucky to have that ability. A lot of the times people can get pigeonholed and they spend their whole career in one specific area. Yeah. So I'm very lucky that um, I've, I've had the ability to kind of move back and forth so fluidly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, you touched on intellectual property a little bit, um, but for those people that don't really know what intellectual property is, um, would you mind quickly like explaining what it is and like how it's an area of law? Yeah, absolutely. So intellectual property is basically um, any items of value that are intangible. So it's not a physical product. It's not something that you can hold in your hand. So things like inventions, new technologies, uh, new brands, software, or any sort of novel designs. Mm -hmm. So while they're not physical items, they still have a lot of value in the marketplace because depending on the invention, it could become a physical item in the future. Right. So it's really important that we have this area of law so that we can protect these inventions, protect these rights so that they're not stolen. Mm -hmm. And it's going to help foster the innovation and protect those assets going forward, um, especially since it can be vital to the long-term longevity of a business. Mm -hmm. um, like I mentioned earlier, if it's not protected, it can be stolen. Um, other firms can kind of jump in if they hear what's happening and, and come up with their own product and kind of take the lead on it. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's quite important for businesses to have this available to them and to have these protections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you talked about um, 
helping with drafting like non-disclosure agreements and material transfer agreements. And that's one way of like protecting intellectual property is having like contracts stating like, this is our property, not whoever we share it with. Yep, absolutely. And that's where the patents also come into play. Um, You can file a patent in any country that you want to essentially. And if you're granted that patent, it protects your right to that specific process, that specific invention, and no other companies can take that on mm-hmm. um, unless the patent expires, which I believe is 20 years off the top of my head. I think like, so, so, yeah. I believe it's 20 years. Um, or if you give them a license and they're paying you to, to have access to it. Right. That's a really good point. Yeah. Another really like valuable and profitable element of intellectual property law is being able to license out your your inventions your ideas your software um yeah it's a really interesting area of law and in the law clerk and paralegal programs that we we both took at Fleming college they don't teach it at all it is not something discussed um but even when you're like signing a contract as an employee there is usually some sort of like confidentiality ownership like clause in there that as an employee all your work products are owned by the company that's your employer. Um, so I think it, it is very prominent and like part of our everyday lives, but people don't know it and they don't see it and they they don't know to even look for it. So I find it really, I find it really interesting um, in a very like unique kind of like hidden area of law unless you're you're looking for it. Yep, I very much agree. And a lot of us don't look for it and they don't think it applies to us. Mm -hmm. Um, I find it's more prominent in the technology and the science and kind of those up and coming fields Mm -hmm. um, to have that, the clause in there that whatever you bring to the, or whatever you design within the company um, Mm -hmm. is the ownership of the company. And a lot of contracts will also have the non-compete clauses where you're restricted from working with a similar company or a competitor for a a number of, or amount of time for, um, so that you're not kind of taking your ideas with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. The non-solicitation, like non-compete clauses really are based off of like intellectual property and and another way of protecting it. Same with like NDAs, MTAs, like there's so many ways of protecting it. And it goes way past patents too. Like I I think a lot of people, when they hear intellectual property, they're like, oh, you're filing a patent. And it's just, it's so much broader than that. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Um, because there's there's five different kinds of intellectual property. Um, the ones that we work with most often are going to be the the patents, the trademarks, and the trade secrets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also industrial designs and there's copyrights. Mm-hmm. So even written works um, doesn't have to be uh, an invention or some sort of product, but literary works, um, plays, all of that is considered intellectual property as well. Right, right. No, it's it's very interesting. It's it's very unique. And I think, you know, especially with working at Noble Gen, um, you do get to touch a lot of different areas of like intellectual property law. Yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. So um, you also mentioned that you're a teacher as well at, at Fleming College. Um, can you tell us a bit about like that position, the kind of classes that you teach and in the program that you teach at with, with Fleming College? Yeah, absolutely. So I teach in the paralegal and law clerk programs. Uh, because the paralegal program is accredited by the Law Society, you have to be 
licensed by the law society and be a member in good standing. So that's first and foremost, the first requirement to become a teacher. Um, and it's also typical that you have experience in the courses that you are teaching so that you can bring that real world experience in. And you can tell the students examples of things that you've dealt with to kind of help put it more into perspective for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fleming is really uh, interesting as well because they have the dual diploma program. Students are able to get the law clerk program and the pair, excuse me, the law clerk diploma and the paralegal diploma in five semesters rather than having to take two separate courses. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting. And, um, you know, if somebody's out there thinking of taking either law clerk or paralegal, I strongly recommend doing the dual diploma. Mm-hmm. It is one more semester, but it's going to make you that much more marketable when mm-hmm. you're in the marketplace trying to get that first job in the field. Um, so that's definitely one, one to consider. Um, the other really important or interesting thing with Fleming College is that their first semester in the program is a common semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and it falls within the School of Justice and Community Development. Mm-hmm. So your first semester, you're mixed in with social worker students, police, um, police services, uh, pre-service firefighters, early childhood education, among others. I think there's 18 programs in total in part of the common first semester. Wow, I didn't realize it was that many. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. I looked it up because I wanted to make sure I was given the right information. Right. Um, so within that first semester, if you find that you're drawn to another program or you really don't like the program that you're in, you can switch into any of the other programs under the umbrella mm. for your second semester and then going forward. Mm-hmm. But once you're kind of in your second semester, it's harder to switch. So it's really important that first semester to make sure you're doing what you want to be doing. And uh, they have a, a really good program or course, I should say, that kind of touches on all of the different programs over the course of the semester. Oh, so wow. you get information on those other programs and decide whether or not you're where you want to be or where you should be, mm-hmm. which is really fun. Um, as far as courses that I've taught, I've taught administrative law, um, which touches on my accident benefits and tort side of things, uh, mediation and alternative dispute resolution, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then most recently, introduction to property law. Oh, wow. So you're getting a diverse um, classroom, um, like options. That's really exciting. So, and it's fun because you, you're working with the students, um, you know, and, and as they're learning, you're also learning and you're finding ways to better develop yourself to help tr- teach them. So it's yeah. really fun. Yeah. Fun We've talked a lot on this podcast about the Fleming program, the dual diploma program. Um, and I think like everyone that's been on here that has done it has always like highly recommended it. And I agree. I feel like it's such a unique, um, a unique opportunity and, and kind of like going one step forward, which is something maybe we haven't discussed before on the podcast is that, you know, law is everywhere. Like talking about intellectual property law, it's everywhere. So even if you decide like not to be a paralegal or a law clerk, you still get access to so many different like skill skill sets that will be valuable later in life, like wills and estates, family law, property law, like sooner or later you'll buy a house, you know, a lot of people get married. So it's good to understand family law. Um, And there's just, there's so many skills um, that, that you gain from it. And you know, my, my goal was to get into immigration law. That, that was kind of my goal from the beginning. And, but I'm glad I went back and did the law clerk program as well, which doesn't have any immigration law, but it has like wills and estates and family law and 
property law. And I think there was like a word processing course as well. Um, And it just gives you like a really solid foundation for like wherever you go in life afterwards. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm glad you did that program as well. And I I think everyone that's done it really um, like speaks highly of it. Yeah, I agree. And another option that they have, and I haven't done this personally, so I can't speak a lot about it, um, is Fleming does have the bridging programs. So if somebody's on the fence about college university, you can take the courses at Fleming College and then they have bridging programs with some universities in Ontario where you move into, I think it's your second semester of university. Um, Second, I I think depending on the school, I think Trent University, you move into second year. And I think, and I might be wrong with this, but I think UOIT, you actually move into third year. So you like cut your degree in half. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, bridging programs and like transfer agreements are very valuable. And that you're right, they, that is something that um, is also offered with Fleming College. They have a lot of transfer agreements. Yeah, they have a lot of, a lot of great programs that um, either people maybe just aren't aware of, but that's definitely one to, to consider. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you kind of touched on this a bit already, but do you have any tips for current paralegal students who, who might be listening? Yes, as an instructor in the program, um, I would say treat the program and your classes as if they are assignments from your principal lawyer at work. Yeah. Um, Follow the deadlines that you're given, follow the instructions that you're given. If something's going to be handed in late or you're going to miss something, communicate with your instructor. Mm -hmm. Um, It makes it so much better. Um, And you know, we can kind of tell kind of who may be successful and who may not be as successful going through the programs mm-hmm. just based off of that. So if you want to do well in the, you know, in the profession, if you want to do well in the program, absolutely treat it as if it's your job. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side of that, don't be afraid to ask for help. A lot of students don't like asking those questions or admitting that they need help. Um, I mentioned earlier that I hate math. And I remember the very first day of our accounting class, I walked in and I said to the teacher who was Amy at the time, I said, Amy, I want a tutor. Hadn't even started class yet. She hadn't even spoke a word yet. Like, I want a tutor. I hate math. And it turned out, I I didn't actually need a tutor through the program because it was a different kind of math. It was money, basically. So yeah, and subtraction. So it was easier. Um, But, you know, ask for those tutors. Fleming has a great peer tutoring program that's free for the students. Mm -hmm. And you can get that help that you need. and, you know, if, if you don't know something, don't be afraid to ask. Same as in the profession. If a client asks you a question and you don't know the answer, tell them you're not sure, but you'll find out the answer and you'll get it for them. Mm-hmm. It's so much better to be honest and tell them that you're not certain rather than to guess and lead them down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like piggybacking off of, of what you're saying, I think treating it as a job and, you know, realizing the fact that you can't know everything and that you're there to learn like you're in a school so you're not expected to know everything from the beginning um I know when I started the the Fleming when I started school at Fleming um it was a really big learning curve and it was you know a lot of classes it's a lot of hours um and I think coming to the realization that like I'm here to learn I'm, I'm I am here 
to, to grow my skill base and, and my knowledge and take advantage of, of the amazing teachers that are at Fleming and, and the tutoring as well. Um, I was a tutor at Fleming College and there wasn't nearly yeah. enough, I was, <laughs> I did it for a few years and um, there wasn't nearly enough people like taking advantage of it. Um, and it's free, like why not? Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's another kind of option for students. If you're looking for work, yeah. if you want part-time work or you want to just take up a couple of hours, reach out to the Learning Resource Center. They pay their tutors very well. Um, mm -hmm. And they even brought me back as a graduate to tutor students because they didn't have enough tutors for that that semester. So mm -hmm. um, again, it's it's definitely something to look into. It's great experience for your resume. Um, it's, it's great going forward. Same with volunteering for open houses, welcoming days, like all of that stuff, how it makes you more well-rounded and makes you more marketable when it's time to apply for jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on that note, uh, do you have any tips for those considering um, a career in law? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely do more than what is required. So do the coursework, but also do your own research. You know, read the different law books that are out there, attend court, you know, I know right now it's more difficult with COVID, but if you can go into small claims court and observe, go to tribunals and observe. Um, I know the landlord tenant board right now is online and mm -hmm. you can be an observer for what you're seeing. That's going to help you kind of determine what area of law you want to go in and where you want to focus. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have that option to look into all of those areas that you're not kind of restricting yourself to one specific area of law. You know that you've tried out different areas, you've observed, and you kind of set yourself up to be successful that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good advice. So you've been working in the legal industry now for, for years, um, and I'd con consider you um, to have like senior level experience. Um, if you could change anything in the legal industry with a wave of the wand, uh, what would you change? Um, I would make it more accessible. Yeah. That's kind of my, my one dislike. I don't even want to say dislike um, for the profession is that some of it is so far out of reach for the average person that they can't get the help that they need. Um, you know, specifically um, family law. You know, if you've got somebody who is middle-class, they're working, but they're still living paycheck to paycheck, they can't afford a lawyer to help them through whatever the issue is that they're going through, but they also don't qualify for legal aid. Yeah. So um, criminal law, same thing. If you've got somebody that's, you know, in the criminal justice system, yes, they're entitled to uh, representation and they'll get that, um, you know, free to them, mm -hmm. but are they going to get the, the level required for whatever the issue is that they're fighting? Mm -hmm. So I definitely make it more accessible, make it less cost prohibitive mm -hmm. for people to get out there and, and really get the help that they need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like legal aid is a wonderful thing. Um, obtaining a legal aid certificate means that based off of your um, income, you can get funding towards obtaining legal services. But the threshold in order to qualify for a legal aid certificate is so low. And I mean, especially with inflation in the last few years, um, it's a very small group um, who really do need it, but there, there's more than just that group that need it. So yeah, I agree. Accessibility is something um, that hopefully gets you know broader and broader as time goes on. 
And I think it will, um, especially with paralegals being open to doing more and the scope expanding. I think that'll really help um, in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But also touching on on the legal aid certificate. It's even difficult once you get that certificate to find a lawyer who accepts yeah. those certificates. Um, you know, I've got a, a friend of mine that's in that process right now, qualified for legal aid, uh, found a lawyer that accepts a certificate, yet the lawyer has been unresponsive. They're not getting it back in a timely manner. And it's just, it's so hard to juggle finding, you know, the, the good representation or even just someone to take that certificate. So I really, really hope to see that change going forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so last question, um, since we're talking about school and education and you know going into a career of, of law, um, I always like to ask people this as their last question. So what one piece of advice would you give your 18 year old self if she was sitting right in front of you? Um, I would say don't give up, mm. first and foremost. Um, there's gonna be a lot of difficulties, both you know, school-wise, personally that you're going to encounter. Um, but that's going to help shape who you are Mm -hmm. and it's going to help kind of make you a fighter. It's going to help make you assertive. You know, you're going to learn the empathy, the compassion, and all of that is what's going to help you succeed in this field. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a hard area, um, to be in. It's a hard industry to be in. Um, and I agree. Yeah. I think don't give up is definitely a, a really good piece of advice. And it's funny because when I, from when I was younger, I always said I wanted to be a teacher. That was my goal. That was my thing from grade one all the way up. Um, and, you know, as we can see, it didn't necessarily work out the way I thought it would, but I've still come full circle and I teach adults. So it's funny how things kind of work out the way that they do. Yeah. And the way they should, like things, you know, thinking of it positively, like things will work out the way they're supposed to. Absolutely. I fully agree with that. Well, thank you for taking the time to um, sit with me and and have this conversation. I really do appreciate it. I'm so glad that our our paths crossed. Um, You know, not at Thumping, not because we were at different years, but at at Noble Gen. And um, yeah, I I really appreciate all your words of wisdom. And uh, thank you for for taking the time to, to join me today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun. It's been great catching up. Absolutely. We'll talk soon.